Welcome to the Access VFX podcast. Pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness and opportunity in VFX, animation and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects, animation and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Access VFX podcast and welcome back to our Industry Connect team for a second part of the conversation we kicked off last week with black and ethnically diverse members of the visual effects and animation community responding to recent events and sharing their experiences of racism working in visual effects and animation. We agreed we'd regroup for part two and here we are and and for those of you that are yet to listen to part one and shame on you if you haven't, uh, Nene asked the first question and 90 minutes later we didn't have time for question two. So with that in mind, welcome back to uh, Nene Parsotam as co-host for this episode. Welcome, Nene. Give her a big hey, round of applause. Hey. So Nene, over to you. Do you want to share a few words before we get into introductions? And then I'll, uh, I'll go around the grid and make sure everybody says their piece. No, no, just going, just going off the, um, the top of your particular introduction. I think we'll just go straight into it. Um, If you haven't uh, listened to the first part of this, I strongly recommend that you do go back and and have a listen. It's very, very insightful. But not only that, it kind of completely introduces all of our um, panelists today and what they do. So instead of doing a reintroduction again, we're just going to go through everyone and they're just going to mention their name and their studio. So Simon, who's first? Right, so uh, Lorraine. Hello, hi, my name is Laurie Bata and I'm a digital compositor uh, working at DNEG. Uh, I've been there for four years now. My recent projects have, I was involved with Doctor Who, uh, Fast and Furious, No Time to Die, and Tenet, the recent one. So yeah, that's me. Welcome back, Lorraine. Michael. So cool. So cool. All right. My name is Michael Morgan. Um, I'm an animator and I work in visual effects. I work at Cinesite right now in London. I've been there since the beginning of the year. And yeah, I jump around from studio to studio, from frame store, d and yeah, so that's me. Excellent, thanks Michael. And over to Bimpy. Hello, I'm Bimpy Aliou and I am a junior concept artist at Industrial Light and Magic in London. I've been there for about four, I've been there for, yeah, officially four years now, starting off as a runner and worked my way up to becoming a concept artist. Excellent, welcome back Bimpy. And over to Hannah. Hi, um, I'm Hannah Wong. I work at uh, Blue Zoo Animation Studio, and I'm a look dev supervisor. Um, yeah, and I worked on a you know a couple of projects like uh, the recent one being Paddington. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. And over to Hayden. And you're on mute, Hayden. And there you go. Hi, my name's Hayden. Um, I don't work at a studio. I work for the Arts Council as a social media strategist, and I'm also part of We Are Stripes. Excellent. Thanks, Hayden. Over to Mark. Hi. I'm Mark Pinero. I am a filmmaker uh, for around 30 years now. I um, work in the visual effects industry as a digital compositor, and I just recently finished working at Double Negative uh, along with Larabe on a Christopher Nolan production. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. Kenny. Hey, yeah. Uh, my name's Kenny Ede. I'm a freelance motion designer, but prior to that, uh, dabbling in and out of freelance and permanent work, um, last job being with Mill. Uh, and I've been in the industry for about seven-ish, eight-ish years. Thanks, Kenny. Hello, Anne. Over to you. 
Hi, I'm Anna Kande. Um, I am a BFX producer and I'm also the central production manager for the TV department at DNEG. And I've been at DNEG for about three and a half years now. That's me. Louise. Um, hello, I'm Louise. Um, I've just finished uh, my integrated master's in the art of visual effects um, at Escape Studios. Thank you, Louise. And Sinead. Hi, I'm Sinead. I work at marketing at Escape Studios. Um, I also studied there on the visual effects course as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Sinead. And last but not least, Prince. Hello, my name is Prince. Uh, I work at Framestore. I'm in my fifth year there. I work there as a compositor and I started there as a runner, went through to Paint and Roto and now I'm in comp. Welcome back, Prince. So that's all of our guests. Uh, back to you, Nene. You want to kick things off? You're on mute, Nene. Sorry. Like I said, I think we're just going to go um, straight into it. In the last podcast, we all shared some of our experiences, everything from, you know, feeling lonely when you get into a, um, an environment where you are just the only black person to, you know, looking at your colleagues with their microaggressions or asking, you know, how they can trip you up or make you fail or whatnot. That was crazy. Um, so obviously, as, as people from different, different ethnic backgrounds look to come into this, into this industry, it will be good to hear from each one of you. Um, what can you what can you do what can you advise people who are coming into the industry or already in the industry who are having some of the same challenges that you have um what advice would you give them to kind of like overcome them and, and keep going basically who wants to start i'm going to pick someone and excellent i knew you were coming for me yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i think you know for, First of all, for people who are just about to get in and people who are, you know, just making applications, it can be very, you know, disheartening when you don't get in or when you just get an automated, like, you know, sorry, we didn't, we don't, we don't really have anything for you. And I think a lot of the times there's these barriers because, you know, some people don't get accepted because their name sounds funny. And this is, this is a known truth, right? And I think it's don't give up is to keep trying, keep trying, connect with as many people as you can find. Um, there's a lot of us out there that are willing to be mentors. So connect with people that will sort of help you elevate your voice. And for the people that are sort of juniors and just starting in the industry, don't be afraid to speak up. It is scary, but you need to speak up. Otherwise you will not be heard. And your voice will just get drowned out because you are the minority. You are outnumbered. So in order for you to, and it is a difficult thing, you know, we've all been through it, but I think one of the things is you need to speak up and don't be distraught if you're just about to start, just keep applying, keep applying and reach out to all of us, reach out to, a lot of us want to mentor. So connect with us, reach out to us and we will help you. We will recommend you. We will coach you through, you know, what you need to do. But I think the main thing is don't, don't be disheartened. There is a space for us. We deserve to be in the industry. It is not an elite group that needs to be in the industry. We all deserve to be here. Um, and, and also just speak up. It is so important to speak up. That's the main thing for me. Absolutely. It's a good point that you made about um, names because I've had some of my mentees who have asked me if they should anglicize their names you know, so that they sound more, you know, more English. And I said, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You can't rub out bits of yourself just to be accepted. That just continues to perpetuate the problem. You have to be you, you have to be your, you have to be yourself. So keep your, keep your names. And when you get to your interviews, just say, this is how I pronounce my name and, and, and keep it moving, you know? 
Anyone else want to chip in? We go Lorraine and then Sinead and then Michael. Yeah, so basically, personally, I, uh, after having like a five year gap because of having a family and becoming a mother, I struggled so much finding work coming back into the industry. I moved back from Barcelona to London and I was like on LinkedIn day and night, just adding recruiters, managers, uh, all kinds of artists, coordinators. I would apply big companies, small companies, and I was hardly getting any response. It was, it was really difficult. So I was like on LinkedIn, just messaging everyone. And then there was one day, uh, someone I think from Framestore, they uh, posted about this program, uh, which was uh, uh, designed by Next Gen Skills Academy. It was actually mm -hmm. for women in animation and gaming industry to help them develop their career and manage their careers. So I instantly applied and I was accepted. And then through that, I started growing my network and I started uh, talking to people. And from that, I found out about Animated Women UK as well. And I heard about them doing a networking event where I went straight away. And I met Louise Hussey, who was the uh, executive at DNEC TV back then. And as soon as she finished uh, introducing herself, I went up to her straight away and I was like, are you hiring a DNEC? And she was like, yes, you can go online and th uh, apply to our website. And I was like, this is not working for me. I'm just, I'm doing that. I've done that with all the companies. I'm, I'm reaching out to everyone. And I'm really struggling. And I explained her my situation that because I'm a mom, I had such a huge gap in my career. I'm really, I really need help right now. And she was like, okay, take my contact details. She gave me her email address. And, and she was like, just uh, send me everything you have, your CV and uh, your showreel and I'll see what I can do. And I did that straight away after that, after I went home. And a few days after that, I got an interview from DNEG and I've been there four years now. So it's really like, uh, at the end of the day, we really need to be brave. We need to get out there. We need to speak to people. We need to show ourselves. And that's why we have Animated Women UK Access VFX, uh, Next Gen Skills Academy, uh, certain platforms where we can reach out to people and make our voice heard. So just we really, really need to uh, get up and be brave and have a courage to do that. Yeah. There's definitely support out there. Isn't Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Right? Um, Sinead, you can ask for the conversation. Uh, yeah, I was just going to go on um, from what was said before about sort of uh, not not being yourself. So carry on sort of showing up for yourself. Because I feel like um, maybe this might be once you've gotten into the uh, industry or even just a bit before, I feel like don't suppress anything about yourself or your culture because one, that um, needs to be stopped anyways. But two, it then doesn't help uh, with like, it gives like a knock-on effect to then your white colleagues where then it's not normalized to them so I feel like once you start showing up for yourself and being proud of who you are and, and being confident uh, for, of things about you it then sort of opens that conversation where they have to be comfortable with it um, they don't feel maybe awkward when you speak about things they might not understand so the more people do that I think the more like I said it will have a knock-on effect where then um, people who aren't of color will feel a bit more comfortable with with it basically so yeah that's what i was going to say absolutely 
And if you, the, the more we kind of like explain, the less we have to explain. You remember in the last podcast, we mentioned that, oh, sometimes I feel like I've, I've had the same conversation about my hair like 20, 30, 40, 40 times because I've gone into different places. It's like, so explain to me your hair and everything else. But if it's, if you come up, you come up, you rock up, you show up as yourself and you explain after a while, it should kind of infiltrate, isn't it? And spread. And then afterwards, you don't have to explain as much. So yeah, really good point. So who was next? Uh, Michael. Uh, Michael. Next on the slate. So yeah, I'm just following on from the thing of being persistent. You know, you've definitely got to be persistent. Um, when I got into visual effects, one of the recruits said, well, you got this because you're so persistent. And it's one of those things of, I had just come back from three years in Singapore and in Singapore, I was like in Lucasfilm, I was literally one of two black guys and then there was two black women. So it's not just where you are, but it's also all, all around the world being black, you're going to be in the minority. Even in from the UK, you think the UK is quite diverse, but that's one of the things you have to kind of, I know it sounds bad, but you have to get used to the fact that right now, there's not going to be many black people in your environment, which you have to just be able to go in there and do your thing, not feel intimidated, not feel like I shouldn't be here. Just know that this is where you should be. You've got the skills, you've got the talent, you've got all that's necessary to be there and just be proud of who you are. Me, um, my name's very British, Michael Morgan. So it's not like I've got my brothers have got African names and even that I see growing up, you know, having different names that don't sound English, they have different kind of perceptions. So when they go to interviews, people are like, they know who they're going to be before they get there. When they see me, they're like, okay, it's Michael Morgan. They don't know what they're going to find until I actually get to the interview. So that's a two-way thing as well. It's like, all I'm basically trying to say is, like everyone else says, be yourself, go there, know that you might be the only one, but over time, there's going to be more and more black people around you. Okay, that's all I want to say. Michael Bimpy. Awesome. Bimpy, you're up next. Uh, yeah, I think it's touching on what some of the guys have mentioned so far, um, especially what Anne said about finding a mentor. But on top of that also, um, the importance of looking after your mental health within this industry. I think um, obviously depending on what field you choose to go into or discipline rather, um, there can be really long hours, there can be weekends, there's a lot of, it can be quite high pressure and a lot of, um, a lot of times. And I think going in, if you're new to the job, um, you're new to the role, and then also going in as a person of colour, I feel like you're already feeling an additional level of stress. And I think it's really important to be able to kind of um, look after yourself as much as possible physically and mentally, pull back when you need to, adequate rest. Um, even if it's just getting up from your desk, if you've been sitting there for like three or four hours, like get up, have a walk. It was really important because it can be so exhausting on so many levels. And if you're able to find a mentor, it doesn't actually have to be somebody that's in the industry as well, because um, obviously our numbers are quite small, um, but it can be anyone that's within any other field, anyone that somebody that you can know you can talk to, somebody you know that you can trust, somebody that you're able to bounce ideas off of, or even just get an additional level of support, because it'll be quite stressful starting a new, a new job anyway within a space that you might be worried about. Um, and so I think it's important to be able to talk to somebody that across the board that you can trust and kind of seek advice off of. How do you find a mentor, Bimpe, just out of interest? You know, let's say, I mean, obviously there's the Access VFX schemes and there's the animated yeah. programs, but if you don't, 
necessarily have knowledge or access to that kind of stuff you know what advice would you, you, you give people it's a tricky one. I think sometimes a mentor can even just be a friend or an adult that you know already, somebody that may not necessarily be linked to the job that it is that you're in. But there are, even if it's kind of messaging somebody through Instagram that you've kind of seen you like the, the look of their work, a lot of people I found are really um, open to responding back. And again, I think somebody mentioned on LinkedIn as well, a lot of people are open to responding back, but also just going to networking events as well. So you may not have necessarily direct access to a lot of these people, but if you do come across an event um, like an Access for, you, for the Effects one or a Culture in the Craft one, going along to those, you don't know who you're going to meet. And a lot of those people, there are definitely a lot of people that I met at a couple of these events because I didn't start going to any of them until I was like maybe two years, two and a half years into my VFX career. So that it took me half of that time to make my way into these spaces and eventually kind of meet people and talk to people. And I feel like um, if I was able to do that sooner, if I felt confident enough to do that sooner, it may have helped some of the internal struggles that I was having in regards to being within these spaces and any other kind of additional stresses that I would have felt like that I was having. Louise, you were next. Um, they said everything that I was going to say actually um, it's really important to have a mentor especially if you're a student really kind of it's really helpful for your mental health because you can kind of go back to them and ask them questions and it's also very good for like understanding like where what direction you want to go like if there's any opportunities and stuff like that and then just finally just networking is really important as well um, getting to know as many people as possible um, through LinkedIn, adding kind of adding as many uh, recruiters as possible, stuff like that. I'd highly recommend. Hayden, you're going to add to the conversation. I agree with everything everybody said. Um, probably just a few tips on the on the mentoring side of things. When you're trying to reach out to people, most people um, are open to it. So if you did, if, especially if you could talk about their work, or if you if you can actually show that you've got a certain skill set or a desire yourself a lot of people buy into what you're saying to when you reach out to them um, also with networking I know I'm not the best networker in, in real life so what I tend to do is I try to find the key people I want to talk to at an event and that, that's who I limit my networking to so that I, I'm not there trying to think about who do I have to go and network with today who do I have to talk to and then get then you get kind of scared and then stand in your corner so just try and find the key people you want to talk to network with that one person and then you've done your job for that day so um don't be scared to get out there and don't be scared to send people messages on LinkedIn like everybody's been saying. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Bimpe covered uh, a lot of what I was going to say basically, just mainly um, look for people who are like you in the industry because uh, you may think, you know, there's obviously there's not many of us, but once you start to, to have a look, you'll discover that there are people in the industry who, who speak your language, who are like you, who may have similar experiences to, to what you've gone through, um, depending on, on where you're from and your background. So it's very important to, to seek them out. Um, and it does make you more confident once you, once you see people like that to attend the industries and to, to attend industry events and, and meetups and things like that. Because even for me before, I used to think, ah, oh, there's no point why am I going to this? There's going to be no one there like me. I'm not going to turn up. That's going to be boring. But the more I did put myself out there and see people, whether it's on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever, and people that were actually in the industry who, who kind of spoke my language, I was more encouraged to 
to go and turn up. And then that then has a knock-on effect for the next person um, who thinks that they shouldn't be going or that they kind of don't belong. So I think it's important to seek out those people and they may even be, well, at Framestore, Framestore is very big. So there's, there's quite um, a few people who, are, who you can seek out if you are in a big company. Um, but even in your own place of work, there may be people who are like you as well. So I think it's very important to, to make sure you're, you're out there looking for them and, uh, and connecting with them. Nice, yeah, nice. Uh, anybody else? Because uh, I, I sometimes do miss the nuanced kind of uh, uh, glasses kind of touch or the little hand that comes up. Have I, I missed anybody out? Hannah, did no, you? No, Hannah's that? got a, yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess kind of elaborating more on, you know, sort of uh, what um, Anne said about, you know, like speaking up and uh, being persistent and, you know, what everyone's touched on. I can just kind of go and give my own example of, uh, I would, you know, I've been able to, you know, since working at Blue Zoo, I've been able to uh, attend at various recruitment events and kind of represent for Blue Zoo and help recruit uh, for different, you know, departments, as well as um, um, I gave a few like sort of speaker talks um, for my, for LookDev. And how I've managed to do that is um, I always express uh, my interest, you know, whether that to be to the CEO or to my head of department, like, oh, if there's any sort of recruitment events, I'm always happy to uh you know help represent for look dev or my department and just it's kind of persistent and i you know i'll tell hr like oh for example aniseed i was managed to go to aniseed and represent the company but it's the fact that i kind of spoke on just constantly showed interest and whenever i do manage to go to a you know a 10-day recruitment event to scout for blue zoo um i always express my um gratitude to um the people that let me for example like tom box and hr but, oh thank you so much um uh, I would love to help out again and always constantly you know it's more like from a positive interest and sort of it's almost like you want to sort of plant the seed and that you know when there's another recruitment event and they're kind of shorthanded they'll think oh Hannah is you know I know Hannah's always welcome to help let's ask her and so I've managed to you know attend various events whether it be for VFX uh, and the seed um, and I think I helped out for access VFX before for like a school career with you Simon yeah. in the past and you know I always it's kind of like um, trying to be persistent and in a in a positive and polite way rather than sort of aggression like oh why don't I get a chance you know you know come with it with more of like um, I guess uh, I guess like a positive uh, enforcement and just genuine interest that you just want to represent for your studio and company um, and I think it kind of sort of helps that because Blue Zoo's uh, uh, people and talent department is sort of small so we tend to ask other artists from other departments to like help out for recruitment so yeah I think it's just constantly express interest and um, I think another one is I managed to do a talk from a university uh, and I would maintain good relationship with my lecturers and just express oh I would love to do a talk um, you know, for university, you know, and visit, uh, um, you know, visit the students and kind of maintain that relation. And then eventually I've done, you know, two talks for my, you know, uh, as an alumni for that. And when I was a student beforehand, I remember all the visitor speaker talks were all, uh, I'll be honest, you know, all white male, apart from the one, the last one in my, out of all my three years, apart from the last one in my third year was one woman. That was a white woman. So, when I did do my talk, um, um, at the end, it was actually, there was a black woman that came up to me, a student, she said, you know, thank you so much. Um, it was a great talk and it was nice to not see a white man. And she was a black woman. I was really happy that I was able to 
sort of represent her, um, even though we're not the same um, ethnicity. So it's just sort of being persistent, you know, showing genuine interest, uh, yeah, and kind of communicate with the people that you know. Yeah, there's definitely something in that around uh, careers events. I mean, there's there's an echo chamber that happens. I mean, I can speak from experience where you, mm. you curate a panel. You curate. I mean, even when we, we launched Access VFX, um, our first ever panel I thought was really diverse. And it was uh, Roshni and Leah who formed the other box off the back of it, which I'm always talking about, by the way. Um, but they came to that panel and uh, there was no kind of women of color on the, on the panel. And I was completely oblivious to it because I thought, you know, I've cherry-picked this diverse. And it was a great panel. But again, it's... Uh, it's, yeah, there's an echo chamber that happens for sure. So I think there's a, there's a responsibility on studios for anything like that. If you're role modeling anything, whether it be an obvious thing like a careers event or anything you put out, right? It's to make sure it's fully representative. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's one of the one of the things we can look at um, when we start speaking about how the industry can, can help, basically. But I did want to ask a quick question uh, to everyone. And it's a point that um, both Michael and um, Prince made both on this podcast and, and the last one. Some of the mentees that I have um, spoken to have said that they didn't want to kind of, as much as they love the industry, they already felt that they didn't belong in it. They, they just felt that, okay, I, they just looked at it and thought, oh, it's just, it's, just a, it's just a white space. I don't belong there. What do you say to someone like that? Especially if someone who's kind of like demonstrating they have talent already. I mean, they might have their own Instagram page, which is amazing, or they have their own YouTube uh, channel, which is equally as amazing, but they don't want to pursue it any further because they feel like they won't fit. What would you, what would you say to someone like that? I've, I've heard it a few, fair few times, if I'm honest. Good. It's something that I, I used to tell myself, but I, I always used to think uh, at the same time, and my dad uh, used to, he was very encouraging when it came to this. He just used to tell me like, people can't ignore if you're good at the end of the day. So just be sick, just be the best, you know, just be as good as you can be. And, and no one can tell you anything really. So you'll be there on the merit of, of your talent, which is what you want to be there for. You don't want to be picked because you know, you're a person of colour and, and people feel sorry for you. At the end of the day, you're good and you deserve to be there. So that's that's one thing that I definitely tell people. Don't let anyone put you off or the people that you see put you off. You've worked hard to, to, to have this talent and to be as good as you are. So don't let it go to waste. And if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. Just just be good and, and no one will be able to, to ignore you. 100%. Like, uh, 100%. Especially if you love what you do especially if you love it, why would you, why would you not go for it? You know, anyone else want to, want to speak up? Hayden had his hand up. Okay. Just a quick one. I think, um, in that regard, I feel that sometimes we can be our own worst enemy and get in our own way. Um, fear, I always say fear is a very creative emotion and we can create these stories in our mind. And obviously there's, there's some truth to these stories and some truth to some of the things that happen to us. But if we keep telling ourselves that we're not good enough, we should have been in this space. You will, you will, you will kill your own motivation from the off. So you really need to try to work on that mindset side of things and how you can actually stay away from those thoughts. And when you start to have them, grab them, grab them back, and be like, okay, no, I'm here on merit. I've got the skill set, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's just really to try and work on the mindset with things like that as well. 
Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because you can stop yourself if you don't if you don't believe that you can actually push through some of your challenges. You kind of stop yourself and just like, oh, I'm not going to do it. But I tell my mentees that the industry needs you. The industry needs your, you know, diversity. It needs your diversity of thought. It needs your diversity of experience. You know, it, it needs it to continue to create actually really cool and compelling work. It can't just be, you know, homogenous and just one voice speaking for everyone. So I tell them, just look, just keep going for it. Anyone else? Saw, yeah, saw hands up, I had Anne and Louise. So let's go Anne, Louise, and then Hannah, and then Mark. Um, I think, so I'm going to say something that's a little bit harsh initially, but I think sometimes people need to remember that the industry, the world, is not waiting for you to come to them. It's not waiting for you to catch up and go, I belong. You have to be hungry for what you want. If you don't have that hunger in you, I think it's one of the things I said about when we're talking about our parents and stuff, you know, you have to believe in yourself enough for other people to believe in you. And it's, a, it's kind of like a double-edged sword for us because we need to see examples of people that we, can live, that we can look up to and say, okay, I want to be this. I want to be an awesome producer. I want to be a kick-ass, you know, VFX supervisor. But if you don't have that hunger, the industry will just watch you because again, it's not, it's not waiting for you to be like, okay, yeah, we want like 50 black people to really make this movie. Yeah, they did that for maybe black, I don't even think Black Panther had 50 compositors, to be honest, you know? So I think it's like, you need to be hungry enough to go after it and go after it with all the fire in you. And then they will have no option but to pay attention. Um, but you can't, it, it, the, the feeling is it's a hard one because you can't sit around and go, the industry doesn't want me, so I'm going to just not be in the industry. The industry will be like, okay, let's keep going. And, and then you will kind of lose out. You would be the one losing out. The industry is not, the industry is losing out, but they're not necessarily losing out because that's just the industry, right? That is just the world that we live in. So you have to be hungry and you have to just not give up. That's what we keep saying about being persistent. Look, chase people that, that you can see that you can look up to and go, I want to be like that person. Put their picture on your wall and go, I want to be as good as that person and better than that person. That is my motivation. And yeah, but but I agree that it is hard, but you just, you have to be hungry for it. If you're not hungry for it, no one's gonna, no one's gonna be hungry for you. Love that, 100%, love that. Who was next time? I've got Mark's hand was up. Yeah, hello. Hello. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's one of these, good question really. It's, um, I think it's in some ways, the idea of feeling that you you don't really belong there, it's, it's very understandable, but, um, I think the joke is, is that everybody in industry is pretty much suffering from imposter syndrome. It's a bit like when you hear actors talk, you know, how, oh, I don't, I never thought I'd win an Oscar. I never, you know, I, I, it is such a validation of my talent. It kind of thing is that you'd hear. There's a lot of people in the industry who came in for a number of different avenues, having a lot of different background skills, previous occupations, trying their very best to make a go of it and um you know you would be no different you're amongst you know the similar company really um getting into the industry is one thing isn't it i mean the other thing is staying in the industry you know you don't have permanent jobs so you work by contract you work on temporary positions so the idea of getting into the industry is something that you will have to do possibly month after year who knows it but on a very frequent basis this is a regular part of your work 
of your job, of your vocation, your career, constantly trying to get back into the industry, trying to get a job. And you have to be prepared, I think, that it might not always work out for you. And so you have to have direction in your life to know where you're trying to get to. And just because this vehicle, this job, this company has closed the door on you on this occasion, you still have to find another way around to get where you're going. So it's just something you need to become skilled in. It's not just a one-time only sorted. It's something that you have to be very skilled and uh, you know versatile with. Fabulous. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, um, good stuff. I got Louise in the queue. Got a few people to get through. Um, yeah, so basically this is something that I struggled with. And I mean, I... I come from an artistic background. I've always done painting, even before I did everything modeling and sculpting um, in Maya. But just kind of figuring out what I wanted to do, um, I suddenly I had to come to a realization that I loved the artistic part, but there was other roles in the industries that, that I could do. Like for instance, I love working with people, and the idea of being a producer really appealed to me. And just having um, the ability to work on different projects as well and just kind of contributing um, artistically. And um, on my journey to becoming a producer, I then got my uh, mentor, Emma, who's been amazing and, to re and has really guided my path and just kind of increased like um, my idea of what I can achieve. So I would kind of strongly recommend uh, sitting down, having a think about what you really want to do and yeah. yeah. Um, Hannah, we have you next up. I mean, it's just, I guess, just kind of sort of quite short, but yeah, it's just kind of, if you want to, if you want to see change in the industry, you know, just, you know, be, be that change in the street, like I so said, just have that um, drive and force and, you know, make sure it comes from a passion of, you know, you love the work that you do and you want to constantly push yourself. Um, because yeah, I think as we all kind of agreed, you know, the industry won't wait for you, you know, you have to, be that change to make that happen and obviously that's probably why many of us are here today to uh, push for that change yeah and I just wanted to bring up something that Mark had actually said yeah just about imposter syndrome it is yeah it's a very very real thing um but I think in within this in just within it within any industry that you go into I think we're always going to be walking into unknowns we're always going to be doing things that we may not be used to doing we're always going to be worrying about whether or not we can do something within a space um but as some of the guys have said like if you're if you're passionate about something why give that up why let that fear be the thing that takes you away from doing something that you really love and that you really want to do why give up something that is going to benefit you and other people hopefully potentially if it's something that you love then forge ahead forge your own path keep going as far as you can with it and because you never know where you're going to end up you never know where you're going to get to with that but we're always having we're always going to be in situations that may make us feel a certain way or we'll, be, we'll feel uncomfortable about walking into but again having that kind of drive and that destination in mind will be something that will help you kind of keep moving forward and keep forging ahead Michael. Yeah, um, it's one of those things of I've never really felt that because, like you were saying as well, when you're passionate about something, you just want to do it. It's regardless of if you see people doing it before you or not. Because especially with me being 
and a lot of you guys probably know as well, say if you're the eldest or if you're like the first one of your family to go to uni or something like that, you find that you don't have to rely on some role model out there. You have to, like um, Hannah was saying, be the change that you want to see. Like I go to universities and talk to, you know, students, do lecturing, do all these guest things because I want it to be seen as a normal, as you see a black person giving these talks, you see a black person that's in the industry, it becomes normal to the students to see that it is an industry that's, you know, diverse, employment, you know, got people from all backgrounds. It's not something that's, oh my gosh, it's only available to white people. So the more black people that go out there and show that it's, you know, you're the change basically, you show people that this is black people in this environment, in that environment, then people coming up will just see it as just a normal everyday thing. It's not something that's special. It's not something that's exclusive. It's it's just everyday. So on that level, I always think if you're passionate about it, just go in, step in, and know that the doors are open for you, but you got to push through and do it yourself. It's like, there are people, you might go to another black person and think, oh, that's my role model, and they might look at you and go, look, don't bother me. Do you know what I mean? So I've been in studios where it's only been two of us and the next guy's like I don't get down like that do you know what I mean <laughs> and turn around and say look just because I'm black doesn't mean I'm connected with you in that sense so it's make your way and just think all right I'm black let me do my thing and people around you will either come up or or not it's it's one of those things all right hopefully that made sense <laughs> yeah it did it did Mark um I, I just want to I want to be a bit realistic here because I, it's good to, I think it's lovely to be able to tell people what they've got within their control to try to improve their situation. But so much of our success is beyond our control. It's in the hands of other people who've got the control. And that's something I don't want to, I don't want people to get too much anxiety if they keep on knocking on that door and they don't get in. I mean, you know, um, uh, hope springs eternal really you know if you keep on going eventually you might get in there but you know you've got to get past those gatekeepers that that are the ones you know providing you entry and and there's a lot to get around you know they're, if they don't know you and they're not familiar with the kind of person you are then the only thing they've got to greet you with is is the stereotypes that are perpetuated around society you know and you've kind of got to get over those in order to show that you're an individual, unique character, a talent, someone worth hiring, you know, once you're in there, it's going to be brutal. I'm not going. Let's not muck about here. The industry is not. It's it's not Daisy Daisy in there. It's brutal on a day to day basis. And if you are of an ethnic background, you know, you will encounter. You will. It is not you might. You will encounter harassment. You will experience bullying. You will experience belittling, you know, people interfering with your work, uh, people pestering and teasing, tittle-tattle, you know, people policing you every day just because they, they're uncomfortable with you being around them. These are the things that you have to somehow get on top of, you know, and still deliver the best work you possibly can. You haven't just got the challenge of what's on the screen in front of you. You've got, you've got a small little village around you that may very well be making your life uncomfortable. And you've got to learn to toughen your skin. You need to have that to be able to survive and to be able to keep coming back for more 
taking more each time, hit after hit. So I think that's something you've just got to prepare yourself with. You know, you've got to be just like how you prepare yourself for the, for the disappointment of not getting a job. You've got to, you can't go in there with, you know, like expecting it, sure, but bring your best self, of course, you know, bring your best self and bring your, bring everything you've got to charm the socks off of everybody and show everybody how brilliant you are. But just be prepared. Don't be shocked when these things happen. Be prepared, you know, for it and be prepared to be able to absorb it, you know, get all, go all shanty shanty if you have to, you know, just absorb it on a, on a meditative level. But, uh, but just be prepared that it is not an easy industry. It is a wolf pit and it will eat you. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, sorry, sorry, sorry. Michael's Michael got a comment, but I'm going to Michael, you're on mute. Yeah, I would just, it sounds like I would echo what he's saying. It's definitely one of those things of you have to be tough. You have to toughen up and know that when you get into the industry, it's, you know, people are going to say, it's not fair, it's not fair, but you have to go in knowing that you have to have the mindset and build that, not that armor, but just have that, that thick skin to know that, yes, rejection's hard. But also when you go into a studio, some people might actually, like Mark was saying, have those stereotypes where you're good at your work and they might be feel threatened by you. You know, they might just see you physically as well and just be threatened by you and might not want to give you certain shots because if they give you too much work or if they give you some work, they've got to deal with you as well. So they might put you on the sideline. Those kind of things you have to get you, not get used to, but you have to be prepared for and know that these kind of things are because certain people's biases, they're not comfortable in some ways to work with you. For example, if you're too good at your job, it might sound, sound weird, but if you're on point, they might see you as a person that's making them look bad. And those kind of things you have to think to yourself, why are they treating me in this way? I'm just being, you know, um, assertive or you're trying to be thinking about things ahead of time. And they might just go, well, hold on, just chill out. Because basically, if you do that, it's making me look a certain way. And I'm supposed to be the supervisor or the lead or whatever. Just calm yourself down and, and things like that. So... I don't even know what I'm saying, but it's in that sense of just knowing that there will be these kind of clashes with, with different kind of um, cultures and different kind of people when they see you. Okay. Mark. I mean, you, just to pick up what Michael was saying, you're absolutely right. You know, because the industry is pyramid shaped. You know, there's only room at the top for one person. So if you're doing good and it's all your intention is, is to deliver the best work you possibly can, all of a sudden you, you start feeling the hatred and, and everything else from people around you, people are off with you all the time, you know, teasing you, upsetting you, whatever it might be. You don't know why it's where it's coming from. It's because you're in danger of showing them up. And if there's any opportunity for promotion, then you're in line to get it. And they don't want to see themselves. You know, I've got to really curb my language here, but you, they don't want to see themselves having to work underneath somebody like you. Yeah, they don't want to be shown up by somebody like you. And that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I again, I'm curb. I could say so. I could, oh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the big thing. So that's why we're experiencing half of the problems that we experience. You're doing your best. You're going there with the best intentions. Unfortunately, it's putting everybody's nose out of joint. Yeah. Did you have a hand up? Yes, Hayden. Um, just to quickly say, although I do agree with everything, we have to also remember the fact that there's 12 of us on this call now and we've all made it through. Um, and 
I'm always still I'm I'm the annoying person that's always the positive go team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the annoying guy. I'm sorry. Um, I agree, and and we have all been through it. But the fact is that we're all here. We're all different personalities. We've all got different skill sets, that we've all managed to find it, find a way to make it work for us. Um, it is definitely difficult, but the fact that there's 12 of us on this call and we could get more people if we wanted to, that means that means there are people out there who have done it. And although I think we're special, I don't think we're that special. So. And I don't mean anything bad to anybody when I say that. So therefore, that you can achieve it. It's not a pipe dream for you to achieve it. You can push through. Um, and that's my two pence. I, 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 um, I, I actually agree with both of you, but I am actually appreciative, Mark, that you've actually said what you said. And I think it's because um, there is a, you know, there is a way that people can romanticize the industry and just think that oh yeah it's all you know flowers and rainbows and chocolate and plantain and it's and it's uh, and it's and it's not basically you will actually come up against these these things and i think it's good to remind people um, about that as well but hayden on the on the flip side of that on the same side on a different side of the same coin basically it's like yeah there are people who have made it and i think that's important to communicate as well because people need they need to see people like us it's like yeah we can we have made it we can make it we can continue to continue to make it so it's good so it's a good balanced sort of uh, response there i like it i like it uh, mark and Lorraine, before we move on to the next question very first, myself. Um, I was going to say that you know they say there's a great phrase they, they use it in the film Moneyball. They say the first one over the wall always gets bloody, always. And the thing you've got to realise is that each and every time there's because there's not many ethnic minority people working in the industry, you're all the first. Every time you go in there, you're going to be the first person, and that's basically going back to what I'm saying that it's going to be brutal. So just bear that in mind. The first person over the wall always gets bloody. Always. Yeah, I completely agree with everyone. And basically just before, because I started at a very young age, and even before I stepped into the industry, I had already faced so much discrimination because I'm a woman, I can't do this, I, can't, I shouldn't be doing that, I, ca I can't do this. So I was already kind of prepared <laughs> mentally. So when I went to do the industry, when I started uh, the course, uh, VFX course Escape, seeing all white men, I thought was, I was like, this is the least of my concerns. I'm, I was like the only young girl there. And I was like, I'm going to put my head down. And I'm going to do my best. Uh, I will do what I love doing. And I'm just not going to, I just started to have, I do not care attitude. I'm not going to care about my surroundings. I'm just going to focus on what is important for me I want to build my myself my career and I'm just going to focus on that sometimes yes it it can be difficult in the industry but you have to look past that I guess you just have to yeah as Mark said you have to just have a very thick skin and you start to get used to it and you have to just let go of it and just focus on yourself entirely that's that's what I'm going to say absolutely and because yeah absolutely and because um we are people from different ethnic backgrounds. We've got to have almost an even thicker skin because we're not going into an environment that is always welcoming, welcoming to us as well. And again, that's why I agree with, with Mark's point. You know, you have to, as much as you love it and you can do it, you can make it, you do have to be prepared because I've had, again, some of my mentees have gone into massive corporations and lasted like one year, two years and they, and they come out and it's like, oh my God, I didn't realize it was going to be like this. And I think it's because there was no one to prepare them, you know, to be forewarned is to be forearmed, isn't it? You know? So if they know that people, they know that the industry is going to be like this, at least they can kind of like, you know, 
dig their heels in and say, yes, I'm going to come up with against these challenges because people have told me about it. But these same people who told me about these challenges have told me that they, I can overcome them and they have actually got to quite a high uh, level. So, so yeah, so just on, just on that, Mark, it was really good leading actually, because um, we have spoken about what our communicate community can do in order to kind of like prepare themselves and get into the industry what advice you would give for some of them um, having these challenges but I think now it's time to put the onus back on the companies um, because of all the events that have been happening over the past um, couple of weeks you may have seen across social media and everything else the kind of knee-jerk reaction I would call it to what's been to what's been happening and companies just releasing statements and going yeah yeah we stand in solidarity etc etc and then you're like okay you know we can look at your board or look at your employees and and you know you can't really see your kind of like actual day-to-day -day kind of lining up with the statement that you're now blasting all over um, social media. So what would be good to talk about now is some of the, some of the things, some of the actions that businesses can take, real actions that work at both grassroots and board level that companies can take to support people from ethnic diverse backgrounds in the industry. So it's not just lip service. Um, well, firstly, I think we have to be willing to have the conversation and have the conversation openly and honestly. Um, it's got to be more than yeah, a tweet, a Facebook post, posting an image. Um, as you said, it's got to be action, not just words. And yeah, that involves talking about it. That involves actually taking a look at your workforce. Um, that involves people raising their hand up and saying, you know what, actually... I don't understand this, I don't understand that, or people, even if people are honest enough to say, I didn't realise that this is a problem, that at least means, it's shocking if you didn't realise it was a problem, but um, but at least means that people are willing to, the companies and businesses are willing to have the conversation and willing to speak to employees, willing to speak to people outside of the company to find out as well what more can be done, as opposed to just kind of looking within a space and saying, well, this isn't an issue for us and we don't have to tackle it or instead of just ignoring the issue completely. Because um, I have had a couple of friends, sadly, that have said that their companies haven't even mentioned anything, let alone kind of put out any statements, but they haven't even acknowledged um, that anything is going on. Crazy, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I think, and I think you're right. I think having, I think having the humility to actually say, look, I don't quite understand this. Um, mm. I don't, I don't know how this affects you because that's essentially what having privilege is, isn't it? Privilege is not about what you've gone through. Privilege is about what you haven't had to go through, basically. You know, yeah. you don't turn up to work and you get mixed up with the other white person there because, you know, majority of you is white. So it's, it's kind of trying to, to get people to understand what privilege is so they can kind of work against it or use that, use that privilege in order to amplify somebody else's um, voice. So, yeah, I think you're right. Conversation is is a good starting point. And I had one of my friends contact me and he said that the CEO kind of like got everyone together. It wasn't even just the, um, just the black people in the company got everyone together to kind of discuss. And then when it came out that people felt certain ways about what had been happening and everything else, that's when he was like, oh, I didn't realize that this was happening. And then even the uh, ERG um, that they had set up, he, just, he was like, I didn't even know that this was set up. Okay, how can I support it? But all that came from just having that conversation in the very first instance. So yeah, Yes, you're absolutely right. Michael. Yeah, definitely, like you said, been paying about the conversation. And you'll find that a lot of people are uncomfortable about talking about race. As soon as you mention black, you know, it becomes a, 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 a one-star stuttering. 
But it's one of those things as well where people hire basically like they look in a mirror and hire who they can who they see and it's like you know they will go oh you remind me of myself and if there's not a lot of black asian people in those supervisor like i was saying before and um, in upper management then they're not going to really kind of empathize or even realize that they're doing doing the whole thing of not hiring actively hiring people from different ethnic um, ethnic backgrounds because they just think you know, if I'm saying um, British, white British or Spanish, I'm going to hire who's someone who's like me. That's how it's, it tends to be. And also they have to watch out that they don't fall into the category of let's just hire any black person, any Asian person and just tick the boxes. Those are the things that go against it as well. It's, it's about hiring people, yes, based on their skill set and actively looking and going, we want to build a diverse environment, not just a, we need this guy to, you know, like looking at a Benetton commercial, we need this black guy, we need this Asian person and his white. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be honest and genuine. That's all I want to say on that. Uh, absolutely. Is that- Could I ask a quick question um, around um, kind of quotas? Because it's, it's something that's always kind of divided some of the conversations that I've had around diversity quotas. Part of me is absolutely not, to Michael's point. Um, people should be judged on their on merit, right? Alone. On the flip side of that, you know, due to bias and due to recruiting bias and unconscious bias, how else is it going to change? Um, and perhaps you do need to have quotas. You do need to almost. I'm not saying the, the Benetton example, but um, Bimpy. And then Kenny. I was just going to say, regardless of that, quickly. I think it's also about broadening our mindset in terms of okay, we're not just looking for the finished article. It's also about considering okay, this is the level that this person is at now. This is what we want to help them get to, and providing support for people to be able to reach where you would ideally like them to be as well, and where they would like to be for themselves. So it's about also seeing the potential in people. Obviously, skill set is like the is yeah important. We should be hiring definitely based on skill, but yeah, that person doesn't have to be the complete finished article. They can have three out of those five boxes checked and we can be willing to support people to help them get those last two boxes. Thank you, Bimpy. I've got a long queue now of people here. So, Kenny, you are next. Um, just to follow on what uh, Bimpy and uh, even Nene has brought up as well, I think meaningful recruitment is really helpful. It's like you were saying, uh, Simon, it's hard to say that quotas are a good thing and a, a good thing while seeing all the flaws for it and you go, okay, it's a bad thing, but you know, there's no means or kind of forceful action you can make without it making it look like it's a token gesture. Um, I think that's a really hard uh, discussion to have to, um, I guess, talk around but I think the problem is that companies don't have those discussions they just don't talk about okay cool we have a quota now and then it's almost like it ends where it begins um, so it'd be great if there was more in-depth discussion about certain things like quotas um, and that it didn't just end at the recruitment process for that company if that company is owned by a, like a mega conglomerate company look at the mega conglomerate company if it's the same up there it's most likely going to be the same down there as well if there's going to be some kind of funneling procedure as well and they need to see the fact that meaningful hiring is important for them too and it's not just for the smaller companies that they own as well thanks kenny uh, prince 
Yeah, I also think um, companies, especially the big ones, need to get involved at, um, at a much earlier level when it comes to to either recruiting or, or showing face to to uh, people from different backgrounds. Like, um, for example, Access VFX and, and Framestore, uh, Amy Smith, who works there, she does a lot of work with that kind of stuff and will work with kids or go to events from when they're like going to college. Do you know what I mean? And I didn't find out what a compositor was till like I was in my second year of uni. I had no idea. And even ex- trying to get that across to my parents was a nightmare. Like my, my dad still thinks I do editing. Like he has no idea what it is that, that, that I do. So I think they need to get involved at a much, a much earlier level to, to show kids and parents as well that, you know, this is an actual job that your son or daughter can do and they can earn money and, you know, they can still help you out and pay the rent and all those kind of things. Because if you if you are coming from a, a working class or poorer background, those are things that, you know, you know you, you're not going to be a runner for banter. You, you're in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I have to do this job, then I have to train, then I have to help mum and dad with the rent, you know? So they need to see that these things are things that they're going to have to go through. But obviously at the end of the day, it's still attainable. And I think if you work with um, kids at that level, it becomes easier at the other end when it comes to the hiring process because you'll have a, a fresh kind of pool of talent that's been that's been coming through because you've been getting involved at a much a much earlier stage so I think um, some bigger companies supporting uh, initiatives like Access VFX and getting involved in kids and parents lives at a much uh, younger level will help uh, that generation further down the line. That's a good shout, Prince. And if any big companies are listening to this now, uh, we're always looking for new members. Email me directly at simon at accessvfx.org. I'd, be lo- I'd love to have that conversation for sure. So thanks for that, Prince. Not a plant whatsoever. Um, so uh, Hazen, you're next. Um, yeah, just basically agree with everybody else. And I think, but fundamentally, I think it's about ownership and responsibility. So when these um, big companies at the moment are making these big grandiose statements, it is really about pinning ownership and accountability to people now. Um, it's part of people's um, remit or part of their job description that they actually have to try and improve this culture so that there is a more diverse um, intake and there's accountability for it people I think things will start to change when there's no accountability it's like anything it will just fall off it'll fall off when other more pressing subjects come um, become more trendy I think at the moment obviously we're quote-unquote trending so we're the most just it's the most talked about subjects at the moment unfortunately so therefore in that regard Everybody's saying, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We're going to do this. But what it is about now is everybody who's saying that we need to hold them to accountability and be okay. You said you're going to do this and we need to keep, keep our foot on their neck, so to speak. Thank you. And Mark? I mean, the idea of having a quota is, uh, is something that's come up and, you know, over the years, hasn't it, really? I mean, I've been in places where I've seen people make a mockery of the quota. You know, they've deliberately got somebody in that after five days is going to demonstrate that they're, that they're so, you know, incompetent that the quote that you could just be hiring anybody because you have to fill a quota. So, um, and I've seen them completely, you know, laugh it off on day five and say, right, we're not doing that again. And then that's that's the end of that one. So, you know, don't try it. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, too much has been given over to non-whites as it is, is the big argument, isn't it? I mean, this is where it is. This is their argument about why they play the game. They've had to give up too much as it is. You know, they still feel they're paying for the sins of imperial and colonial crimes from 400 years ago today, you know, and they're constantly having to make space for, for ethnic minorities, you know, and as if we can't do it ourselves. I mean, I just don't know the quota system. I mean, how do you, 
you're right. I mean, if you don't have it, how can you can you guarantee that they're going to choose people based on their ability and their talent? Or do we still need to have some kind of allocation and then choose the best people to fill that slot? I mean, I just, I don't want, I think the quota thing, the whole idea stirs the pot a little bit more, makes things a little bit more complicated, you know? I think Kenny's point on kind of meaning, meaningful recruitment, you know, because I think you need more than just unconscious bias training, I've found, you know, having worked in this space for a long time. You can check, you know, changing mindsets takes time and sometimes you do need kind of a short shot shock short shot I'm not saying that again you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I, I wish it, I, I think it's maybe the only way I do agree I just just highlighting that it's also the problem it's also very much the problem thank you Mark Michael you had your hand up a while ago Prince coming to you too yeah it's just basic that it's um it's one of those things up it's hard to say what to do when it's not cut and paste it's not cut and dry it's not black and white it's not like that it's one of those things of you choose people based on the talent but it's the people that are choosing you know like I said before so it's trying to make sure it's it's diverse and inclusion inclusion meaning people are actually promoted and are at the top as well because unless you know you have a diverse um, board at the top, you're not going to get it at the bottom either. You're just going to have it where it's just going to be one-sided all the time. You know, I was watching something on, was it, um, on the news when they were talking about how many black people do they have in the, in the current cabinet? And the guy was umming and ahhing and he couldn't answer the question. I think they had probably about two or three. And then one of the, one of the black people that they recently recruited was head of ethnic minority. You know, it's like you get the one black person to be the head of the black, you know, the gate to let the black people in. And that becomes an issue as well, because it's like you make up this job for the black person, but it becomes, yeah, it's this whole quota thing and everything just becomes a bit, it doesn't make, it doesn't make much sense to me. So it's a hard one. Thanks, Michael. And you had your hand up a while ago. Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally I would love like a lot of these companies to define what they mean by equal opportunities because the fact that we're having this conversation now about there needs to be a quota or there is no quota it's like that that is not creating equal opportunity in any way so and I agree with everything that you guys are saying you know when we go back to who's doing the hiring when we go back to who's you know who's running the interviews when we go back to you know who's drafting the contract everything is all it's mostly white people right and so that creating equal opportunities means you have to look at everyone and say that person comes and just because they're black just because they're asian i will give them exactly the same opportunity as this person that comes and they're white and the only thing that will differentiate them is probably experience right that is creating equal opportunity right now there is zero equal opportunity all those companies that have actually tweeted or posted you know or emailed their employees are all dishonest. Most, I'm not saying all of them, but most of them are just quite dishonest because it is, what have you actually done? Have you actually, do you know the names of your black employees or your ethnic, do, do they actually know? Like do all those bosses, have they had a conversation with them and gone, guys, I know this is kind of troubling you guys and it's affecting your mental health and you have to work. Let's just sit down again. I mean, someone brought this up earlier and then we just hear you out. That is creating equal opportunities right? But they're not doing that. So fundamentally, it's like, 
we need to kind of go back to what is the reason for actually being in this industry if we're not going to be seen as equal with everybody else? Because then, again, I know we say this, the system is rigged, but the system is rigged. And I think another thing as well, just to bring it back to reality, is these things will take time. It's not going to be like everything is going to change like next month and they're going to start hiring a whole bunch of like, it's going to take time. It might take years before we actually see the impact. But I think having the conversations now and actually having that momentum now that we have is actually, it's probably going to make a dent and it'll do something, but we just, we can't be tired. Like I said before, we have to keep, and the conversations are hard. They're not easy. People don't want to hear it, but again, it's, you know, look at us, we've made it. So we need to keep creating those opportunities for people that are coming back after us. And we also, as much as it's hard for us as well, we need to keep fighting those battles. We need to pick our battles, but we need to fight for the battles that really do matter. But I think really companies need to really define what equal opportunity means. That's good. That's good. Kenny, you had your hand up. Yeah, um, I think one of the key things uh, that kind of comes to mind is um, specificity. Uh, and what I mean by that is when something big like what happened a couple of weeks ago happens, I feel like, like many were saying, people kind of, a lot of companies kind of jump on the bandwagon to be seen as on the right side of history. But if you think back to when Me Too happened, that was very much the same thing. A lot of companies jumped on the bandwagon, even knowing that they had issues in their own company, jumped on the bandwagon to say, hey, we don't agree with this stuff. But you need to, but, and then a lot of, um, a lot of uh, initiatives were brought in, but they weren't brought in with specifics in mind. So I think one big company, I'm not going to say the name, but one big company I saw on LinkedIn said, hey guys, we finally reached 50-50 equality of men and women in the company. And I was like, okay, that's great. And I looked at the article and they didn't say where they were hired. They didn't say if they were at the high end or if they were at the very low end. They didn't give any specificity. So I think that's also going to become a problem in the future when they say, hey guys, everything's equal now. We've hired this many people in the workforce. This is what is the norm. But then if you look at the actual industry and you see all the people of ethnic origins are at the bottom end of the rung and all the other people are at the very top, it still hasn't changed anything. It's still in the same issue you've got. So I think specificity is a, a huge thing that needs to be outlined, especially for companies. And it, it shouldn't be a thing where it's, a knee-jerk reaction because something happened. It should be talked about frequently. It should be mentioned all the time. They should always have it in the back of their mind for huge meetings, for the people at the top, always thinking about their workforce and about how to make stuff fairer for everyone. Because in the end, everyone thrives, I think. Everyone thrives. I think that's what Anne said before, that everyone thrives when, when there's a quality. Okay. Shanae. 100%. Sorry, uh, Shanae, you had your hand up. Yeah, I was just going to go back a bit of um, kind of similar to what Prince said about kind of being at the forefront of where the people are coming into the industry. So obviously working at um, Escape Studio, so working in an educational in, um, industry um, institution, we are kind of the ones that are bringing the future artists or supervisors or whatever they turn out to be. So I feel like um, all educational industries um, or anything that's at the forefront of bringing people in even if it is the recruitment of those companies do need to um, kind of similar to what people have been saying like have these conversations about what's next okay this has happened what are we going to do and do it so for example um, things like communication social media pictures being put up um, 
success stories being told, um, events or whatever, actively put people from uh, BAME backgrounds on there. And I think what happens is we do tell our, uh, our white staff or our white employees, okay, this is stuff we can do. We can put, you know, the next picture up of, you know, include someone who's, who's Asian or black. Um, but then when it comes to that employee whose job it is, they might feel awkward to do it. And like, am I only doing this? Yes, you are only doing it because you've been told and it needs to happen. It's fine. Go through the folder and find that image or um, go and find the success story of a black uh, woman or something like that. And I think that's what needs to happen. It's stop feeling awkward about it now and, and actively do it, basically. Yeah, businesses need to learn to be to learn to get used to to learn to become comfortable with being uncomfortable and everyone needs to be able to hold themselves accountable and as Anne said like this is something that's going to take time but they've got to be willing to invest the time they've got to be willing to invest the money and by money I don't just mean donating to one cause or this cause it's donating money in terms to how that's going to look like in terms of donating money towards your communities or investing in mentorship schemes or sponsorship schemes for people and again like touching on what Prince said, that starting at an early age, there is there are different kind of levels and layers to it. We can there's what we can do now, and then there's what we can kind of do to essentially help rebuild the foundation. We won't be able to change the structure of the institution as a whole on a global level, but at least within um, our industry and other industries, we can attempt to start to rebuild some of the foundations that exist already, and that is by investing time and money into our communities, into talking to parents, into talking to students, into sponsoring kids, into getting out into communities and kind of showcasing that this industry exists and how we can help aligning students with mentors. And again, that em emphasis on talking to parents and getting them, and so they're able to know and understand what this industry is, what this industry looks like. Yes, it does make money, that yes, their kids aren't gonna be starving artists. And um, yeah, that's, I think that it's so easy to kind of just say, okay, well, we've donated money to this, but actually acting on this properly, actually investing the time and knowing that it's going to take time, but being okay with that and accepting that it's going to take time and that it's, again, as Anne said, that it's not going to be all sorted in a year or like two years, but at least attempting to lay the groundwork and rebuild the foundations. Louise, you're next. Um, I guess I agree with everything Sinead said. Um, she used to be a student ambassador just like myself. Um, I'd probably say, like, firstly, I think diversity in places of mentorship, like mentoring programs, it would be really useful, like, in education uh, institution, institutions, um, because it kind of offers people coming up and newer students, or maybe just prospective students, somebody to look up to and somebody to go to if they have any problems. Um, secondly, I'd probably say... Um, like in roles such as student ambassadors, I'd, I'd once again strongly recommend that they kind of have a diverse set of students uh, to represent people because I've kind of had, pe I've seen people from like maybe UCAS events and then just kind of seen that whole trajectory they've taken, like to now some of them are in maybe second year or third year. So like, and some of them might feel comfortable enough to come to me if they have problems, if they need advice. Um, so I think, I would kind of strongly recommend that. Yeah, a lot of the points have been covered, but it, it just made 
stood out to me how important it is to have the, the conversation, especially with those people whose jobs it is to to be organizing the talent or or searching for for or when it comes to recruitment and and really do they stand for for equality and and trying to get people from these these backgrounds into the industry a few of my friends saw the episode one the first podcast we had and they said that you know they they had really really bad experiences with hr they don't trust them they never they never speak to hr again um because the people in those places don't operate in the interests of the people but for the company and i was like oh that's you know that doesn't surprise me but it's sad at the same time and whereas for me i I feel very lucky because i have people like i mentioned amy smith before you guys know she's an absolute legend and after seeing the first part she was she messaged me straight away she was like oh, if you need uh you know uh, to, to, to talk to senior management about what's going on or blah 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 blah, you know you, you have that platform anything you need and, and it's not just that one time she's been like that throughout the whole of the time that i've known her at framestore so i think having people like that in those positions who you know are going to actually not be told to give people a voice but actually do it off their own accord and get involved with these initiatives are, are very important. So the people who are in the higher positions need to, if they're going to post a black square or, or tweet about it, you need to actually look like, oh, what's going on in your in your workforce? Where is that person who's going to give that person a voice? If you ain't going to do it, then where are the people who are actually doing it? Are, are they there? So I think those those questions and the conversations do need to be asked and those positions uh, positions definitely do need to be looked at as well. Thanks. And Hannah. Uh, I think I'm gonna kind of continue from I guess sort of Louise and an early point that you made, Prince, about sort of targeting, you know, even earlier and early stage students, but I think we should even uh go even younger. And what I mean by that is sort of the the type, you know, the media that we put out on TV, like TV series and when when children grow up and watch um you know, will it be a film and they don't see uh, themselves represented at such a young age, you kind of get sort of very subconscious sort of influence um, about how you feel about yourself and how you stand amongst a, a majority of other people. And um, I think we've, I think there's conversations already starting um, at Blue Zoo because it's an animation studio, we uh, kind of aiming to create our own IPs. And so there's been discussion about having, um, uh, you know, creating children's TV series that have a, you know, ethnic diversity and look at, you know, for example, uh, children's books that um, have really rich stories that happen to have someone from an ethnic background, whether that be a black or Asian, and sort of trying to, obviously it will take time, you know, take years for like, you know, a project to develop to see more ethnic, ethnic diversity represented in the media. But I think the media itself, whether it be in film, commercials, um, yeah, children's TV shows, to see yourself represented. And I think it's at a very subconscious level that, you know, if adults today are very easily influenced by the media. You can only imagine how children, uh, when they look at um, themselves and not see themselves, you can only imagine how some subconscious influence and we're in a generation more than ever that people, children are taking in media at a rate like more than ever. So I think that's something that's really important. That's a really good point. There's almost another episode just on on-screen representation, right? Um, Hayden, I know you've been waiting patiently. Um, I think I forgot my main point, but um, fundament- fundamentally, though, the fundamentally, it's just about 
Um, yeah, it's about literally about how people take ownership of what they're doing. Um, also, I have a kind of interesting question. We've, we're all in here and we've all kind of got these viewpoints. What would we have liked to have seen when we was coming up? I'm, I'm intrigued to know, is there anything that we, what we, what did we want to see? Because again, we're not so incredibly unique that we don't have an opinion that someone else might not relate to. So it might be interesting if we shared the kind of things, okay, what, when I was coming up, I wish I saw this, or I wish I knew this, which might also prompt organizations to understand how it might work better. Thanks, Aiden. Um, and I've got Michael waiting patiently. Followed by Anne. Come in, Anne. All right, so I want to kind of follow up from what Hannah was saying, because I've got two little girls, one's three, one's seven. And I've me growing up, I've, you know, I've watched any old cartoon and and I'd watch, say, Mo Moesha, Proud, is it the Proud family? And things like that. And I thought, let me look and try and find some for my girls to watch. And it's pretty hard, actually. You know, unless you watch something like Blackish, but um, what was I going to say? We recently found a show called Is It Grandma and Jojo, and then I looked into it and found it. It's just like the first one of its time, like a black family, and it's a cartoon. And I thought, well, this doesn't make sense that it's 2020 and it's taken so long for a children's show of this type to be out there. So if I didn't have my three-year-old or my seven-year-old, I don't think I would have even looked for these kind of shows. I wouldn't have looked for representations because, you know, I think, especially men and women as well, like as a, as a boy growing up, as a man now, I wouldn't look at the same things that girls are looking at, you know, and looking at these Disney princesses and all that stuff. And you look at, is it the frog, frog princess? I don't know what exactly it is, but that's the one black one. Then the whole debate of, the Little Mermaid, she's turning black. How can we do this? How can we do that? It's those kind of things that you think to yourself, children growing up do want to see a representation of themselves on the screen. So it's really funny um, in a sad sense how when you've got these characters and they are black, it becomes a big deal. People are arguing about it, like these guys in the background. But, um, you know, you have like Black Panther and you think, like when I was working on Black Panther, some of the people there were like, oh, Black Panther has to be so black, black, black. Why does it have everything that black people do is so, it's so black, do you know what I mean? It's, and it becomes a case of, wow, you know, so you have that going on in the background, you fit yourself. It's a, it's a hard discussion that people have to have. And when, when black people, Asian, people of different ethnic minorities are trying to see themselves on the screen, it doesn't mean that we're against white. It always feels like just because you want black there, it then has to be a racist thing in a negative way. You just want to see yourself on the screen. That's what, you know, I just want to say on that. Thanks, Michael. And you were waiting in the wings. Yeah, I mean, I had a couple of points, but just to touch on what you said, Michael, just now about, you know, the whole black, I mean, I laughed so hard about the whole Black Panther thing because why not? That's, that's our culture. That is who we are. You know, we are larger than life and we have to show it. So if anyone says that, just go, why not? <laughs> you know, um, but I, you know, I think, um, Hannah, what you were saying about, you know, younger, the younger generation just being able to see and recognize people that look like them. You know, I'd love to kind of challenge all of us because no one's going to tell our stories for us. You know, if a, if a white corporation goes and makes a story about Africa, 
they're just going to make it Hollywood, right? So we need to be the ones that kind of go back and tell our stories the way we want it to be told. And we're capable of doing that. So we, we definitely need to put more content out there. You know, one of the things that I want to do is to produce more original African content. You know, I grew up probably in Nigeria, but I grew up watching things like Tales by Moonlight, which is just this very, very basic um, after school show where, you know, this old man is telling a story and it's all about, it's always about some kind of folklore or something, but I still remember that. So, but I still watch Sesame Street and I still watch, you know, the original X-Men, you know, but I still have things that could sort of tie me back to my culture. And, but we don't have that now. Kids are watching, you know, I won't mention names, but you know, kids are watching all kinds of stuff right now. We need to be the ones to regenerate our culture for the generation coming after us. So we need to challenge ourselves more to do that. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say, what was it, Hayden, that you were saying? Um, I've lost my chain of thought now, but you were saying something. It'll come back to me. Um, so someone else should go, but you were saying something that I want to come back to. So, uh, oh, Mark, I was timed. Well, going back a little bit, I don't know if this is going to be one of the last things said. Hopefully it's a positive thing. Um, but going back to basically what Kenny and Bimpe were saying about how we can how we can maybe improve the policies that the companies work with. I just want to say that Having worked for 30 years, I can tell you that things are improving. Now, as much as they are improving, companies are addressing, you know, um, new ideas, new policies. And I think it's largely and thankful to the Me Too movement. I really do, because there was a very sharp rise in wokeness within the whole industry as a result of that effort. And, you know... Um, and it was, it's also a very much an example that it's not all within our power. I mean, if the problems needed to be fixed were all in our capable hands, we'd have fixed them by now. You know, it, it, they're not. I mean, the changes that need to come need to come from their end. And you can see how swiftly things adapted as a result of Me Too once companies, you know, saw that. So every company I've been in over the last 10 years, every new company has been a better experience than the previous one. And, and that is going without a doubt. So, and also, also finally, um, this, what you're doing now and all of this awareness that we're, we're putting out there, it's making a huge effort. I mean, I don't, I'm sure you all received emails and, and maybe some correspondence over the week about the first one. I received a, a, a heartfelt um, email from a visual effects supervisor who was genuinely taken aback by the braveness that we, we put out to speak out here today. And I think that, you know, more of this is just the challenges on the companies, basically, the challenges on you to see how you react to what we're doing here and what's being said. The challenges on you now to see how you what, what you do. Thank you, Mark. Um, and did you have your hand up? Yeah, I did. Um, just to follow up on what Mark said, I, I did receive a, a very, very, really warmed my heart from a lady in HR um, in, a, in a big visual effects company. And she messaged me and she said, you know, just seeing people like you be, being able to speak out makes me less afraid to speak up in my own company. And I just, I really, I messaged her and I was like, that really just warmed my heart. And if that is something that we can do and just create these little ripples, um, you know, that it, we're doing a great job already. But I wanted to go back what Hayden, the question that Hayden asked about what would we have liked to see? And I just wanted to answer that. I think looking at my career now, I would have liked to have had the type of boss that I have now um, all those years ago. And what I mean by that is just a boss that is able to see me for who I am allows me to be vulnerable. I told my boss that you have seen me cry way more times than any boss that I've ever had. And that is not a bad thing because there's just that level of honesty where I can go, 
and it's, it's, there's a level of honesty where he's like, he gives me the freedom and freedom is such a powerful thing to be able to own your role, but also to be able to make mistakes and it's okay for you to make mistakes, right? For to be able to like, you know, like there's some really woke white people out there, you know, as what I think was when Mark said woke, they triggered um, what I was gonna say, but there's, there, there's a, lot, a lot of my mentors are actually white people and they are very woke, right? And they have been able to support me. Another one of my mentors is my oldest brother. Um, every single job application I've done ever since I started working has gone through my oldest brother, every single one. I would always send it to him with my cover letter and go, what do you think? And then, you know, he'd send it back to me and every, you know, even interviews and things, I would always like checking with him, but you know, just being, just having someone in your workplace that not necessarily doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't look like you, but gives you the freedom to fail and fail again and has your back. Even when you don't think they have your back, they're having your back. I wish I had that like, 10, 11 years ago, because, you know, it takes, and again, that's why, this is why it takes time. And everyone coming into the industry has to realize it's not just going to be rosy from the beginning. It's going to be really hard. You have to have thick skin. Um, but there, I wish I did have, you know, the, the kind of examples and mentors that I have now, I wish I did have them, you know, way back when. So that's what I wanted to kind of end with. That there, there, there are some genuinely woke white people out there that will have your back too. Thank yeah. You. It's true. No, it's true. Like Simon, I would just point out is, uh, yeah, one of those, one of those dudes who actually gets it there are some out there who get it there are there are some who would use diversity as a means of kind of like promoting themselves mm-hmm. and trumpeting their own horn and everything else but yeah which kind of like just makes you go crazy but they are actually easy to spot and then you have the ones who are like simon like um uh, amy who you mentioned prince who are not afraid to give other people the platform so they can they can talk about the issues and everything else that's the difference that's the that's the major difference you know um so yeah that's that's great guys i think i think in terms of me coming from um my background obviously advertising and then obviously the work that we do with we are stripes as well i think it's there's a couple of things i could say to the to the industry and i would say first of all be honest with your data just like what kenny was saying earlier is there's no point going oh yeah yeah we've got you know 50 percent like uh, equality and you're like okay cool break that down for us let's see what that actually looks like let's talk about the pay gap shall we um, is there a pay gap you know you know just be just be honest it's going to be uncomfortable but you need to you need to be honest um i really like Sinead's one about championing and sponsoring the black talent that you have in your company or the company or the um, ethnic diverse people that you have in your company speak up for them put them forward for things like you know hannah for like um panels the speaking roles and going to universities and 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 whatnot showcase them sponsor them be be their be their champions it's it's very difficult sometimes to speak to some caucasian people and, t- and say to them we are not trying to take anything away from you you know we're not here to take anything away from you we are we are just here to have our space just like you have your space and you championing someone who doesn't look like you doesn't take anything away from you at at all you know it's a, it's, a, it's it's a mindset i think it's a mindset thing that is 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 tricky um in terms of recruitment i think again uh, to your point kenny i think with recruitment i think companies need to tell the recruitment companies that they work with what exactly it is that they want they can't they can't put the onus on the recruitment company because they'll the recruitment is just like i need to get my commission and, and go home you know but if they if the company is like look this is what we want and if you don't deliver we're going to go somewhere else because there's there's more of you i think then company recruitment companies will take it a, um a little bit um more seriously but then the last thing i will say is that in terms of um the black employees that you have at your company I don't think you should then put all the onus on them to now set up ERGs and, and everything else to kind of, if that is not their day job, 
I think you should need to hire people who can look at your DNI and your initiatives and everything else um, as you know as consultants or, or whatnot or as a separate job role. I don't think it's fair to kind of like say, okay, I am a art director, but okay, no, no, you're black, so you need to look after this as well. It's 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 a lot to put on someone, especially if that's not their not their job role. And then lastly, get get some help. There's plenty of initiatives out there who will be able to help you with your talent pipeline. One of my biggest pet peeves is when a company says to me that, oh, we, we tried to put a diverse panel together, but we didn't know where to go to find any black people or Asian people or whatnot. And it's so frustrating because if you ask me, I can, I can, do, 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 I can give you like a list of people that I can send your way. The difference is, is that my, my, you know, my connections are different from yours. So if you want my connections, you need them to connect with me. So it's about not being lazy, basically and actually you know reaching out to people who can actually help you yeah no worries i wanted to throw in a piece just to conclude and, and bring because obviously it's overrun again so thank you so much another mm. feature length episode um so yeah. uh, to conclude I'd, I'd like to use this opportunity to put out another call to action um so as a response to some feedback uh, that we at sphere are very aware of is that our, our board members are apart from nene of course present company and all that are all white caucasians so Certainly a reflection of our industry. I mean, that's always my, my uh, response to those kind of comments is that's the reason Actors VFX was set up in the first place. But we do have to take it seriously, not just in light of current events, but just for the greater good of the industry. So um, we'd like to change that by asking if, if anybody would like to put their name forward as a new board member, please get in touch with me. Um, I'll give out my email address. Okay, so if you're not expecting lots of spam, might get a bit, but... Uh, my email address is simon at accessvfx.org. Um, I'll repeat it again at the end of this little blurb. Um, so obviously we're keen to increase our board membership. We're looking to increase it by two and to diversify the board, we would strongly encourage applications from a BAME candidates or from uh, diverse backgrounds. Um, so the call to action is, this should go out on Tuesday morning, uh, or will go out on Tuesday morning. Please email me by midnight on Friday if you're interested. It's not a job application, application, application. Um, but uh, just drop me a note. Just say you're interested and why. Um, Simon at accessvfx.org. Um, and the first order of business will be to begin the process of mobilizing an industry. Uh, I don't like the term BAME, but I'm going to a better term. Um, an industry BAME network. So much like we did last year with the LGBTQI plus community and the birth of QBFX, we want to do the same for the BAME, uh, BAME, BAME um, community. I think uh, for, you know, to everybody's point on, on the podcast, um, everybody's talked about getting through to kids, getting through to young people, getting out of schools, increasing mentorship, doing more CFBA, and I think it needs more, uh, more weight behind it. Um, so, and that goes to anybody on, on this celebrity squares I've got in front of me as well. So Friday, let's get some more board members on board and let's get some more shit done. That's kind of the plan. Um, my last two calls to actions are always the mentoring platform. Uh, we've gone up by 70 mentors since uh, last Monday's episode or last Tuesday's episode. And that's amazing. So please keep them coming. Um, the sign up is uh, accessvfx.org forward slash mentors. And don't forget, and I should shout out Bimpy, because Bimpy, you'll get involved with the, uh, the Summer of Animation. So please go to, uh, I need to get this right, www.summerofanimation.com. I always have to check this. Um, let me just go to my thing. I never, I should be more prepared. Yes, it's uh, summerofanimation.com. It's full of tutorials. We're looking to get through to a huge amount of people all across the country. And Bimpy's going to be doing an exclusive tutorial for us on concept design concept art which i'm really excited about and that works amazing so check it out so 
you can wish for a better CFB, um, and it's going to podcast, right? And it's going to be on the uh, the XVFX YouTube channel as well. So that's a very blur, you know, kind of rambling call to action. It's late, but the key thing is, I really want to diversify the board. So that's a call to action and a, a gauntlet thrown to anybody listening. And then, of course, my last thing, it, this is about in, uh, connecting with companies. If there's any big companies out there that want to sponsor us, we're still looking for a sponsor for the mentoring platform because it's growing. Any big corporations who might listen to this, a few grand would be amazing. Hit me up. I've given out my email address. I'll give it out again. Simon, spell it right, S-I-M-O-N, at accessvfx, not visual effects, vfx.org. So get in touch. And that's that. And I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody again. We've got full turnout. I almost didn't expect everybody to give up their, their evening again. So it's amazing. We've got literally the full squad on, on, on the, uh, the pod. And I think there'll be a, a lot more coming from, from this team. So uh, watch this space. Nene, do you want to kind of take us out with a few uh, last, last words? Oh, you're on there. Oh, I've, t- I've talked enough. So I'm just going to say once again, thank you so much, everyone. I really do appreciate you doing this. And just like I said last time, I always feel the camaraderie. I, I really enjoy talking to people like this and, you know, we share ideas and it's positive and, and it's real. It's real and it's raw, you know. So I, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, I'll contact you about the next one. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, part three, trilogy. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, we'll stay on the line, but um, yeah, have uh, a great evening, everybody, or whatever time zone you're listening to or watching this, and uh, thanks, uh, thanks for getting involved. All right. Bye-bye. See you later. There we go. End of another Access VFX podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about what we discussed, our mentoring program and events we're at, then head over to our website at www.accessvfx.org and follow us on social media. Big thank you for listening and until next time, bye.